Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. If you plan to remain in the sanctuary, you can open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Always so exciting to welcome new members, such an encouragement. So again, so grateful for that. And let me just uh, say that we have had a couple of people who have expressed interest in in exploring New Life class, another one. So let me just reiterate what Brian said. If you're interested in taking that class, just let us know. Um, Kind of wait till we get a critical mass to offer one of those classes. So if you're interested, let us know. Mark 11, we'll be looking at verses 27 to 33 uh, this morning as I was preparing for this message uh, and reviewing some of uh, the past messages, I realized that we actually started our series in Mark back in May, so May 22 that is, so we've been in Mark here for about a year. And um, I I noticed that when we were in Mark chapter 1 that I delivered a, a message called Jesus and Authority. And actually, that is the same title to the message today. Uh, Both of these passages deal with this topic of authority. And um, maybe you recall, I doubt it though, it's been a year, but you might recall that the introduction to that sermon, in that introduction, I declared that we as a society, as a nation, as a culture, are dealing with what I would say is a pretty significant crisis of authority. We, we are in the middle of a crisis of, of authority. We, we have um, lack of confidence in, in who we can look to to give us authoritative answers on any number of questions that we might be asking. There's a, uh, an author named Carl Truman. He wrote a book called Strange New World, and I understand our youth actually read this book, that Andrew had them read it. That's uh, very impressive. Um, very good book. I would recommend it to you. And uh, in this book, Strange New World, Carl Truman makes the point that there has been a collapse of authority. He uses the word collapse, a collapse of authority in at least three major areas, the church, the nation, and the family, that these institutions that we used to look to for authority have kind of dried up. We don't really see them as authoritative anymore. In the church, well, we've got the Uh, an increase in secularization in our culture. We have seen um, priest abuses in the Catholic Church, moral failings in the evangelical church. For a lot of different reasons, the church has lost its authority in our culture. Uh, The family also seems to have lost its authority in our culture. There are a lot of attempts to kind of deconstruct and reinvent the, the family, lots of questions raised about what actually constitutes a proper family, Many families plagued by divorce and various forms of abuse, and so the family has lost authority. And even our nation has lost authority, as you know, many people questioning whether we should really be proud to be Americans or not, wondering if maybe this whole nation is built on oppression. Um, We've got people tearing down statues, and all of this is just an attempt to reject the authority of the nation. And so Carl Truman says this here in his book, he says, um, he says, 
He says this, with the collapse of the authority of church, nation, and family, this creates a vacuum of moral authority that is filled with the competing voices of a myriad of new identities and no objective way of adjudicating between them. And that means that society's moral order defaults to who shouts loudest. I mean, isn't that a very apt description of the culture in which we live? Who has authority? The one who speaks the loudest, the one who shouts the loudest, the one who makes the biggest splash. Well, I'm telling you all this because, again, this passage that we're about to deal with here in Mark deals with authority. We're just picking up where we left off last week, verse 27 of chapter 11. And again, you'll notice as I'm about to read the passage that the authority of Jesus is what is presented to us as the main theme. This is... um, the beginning, actually, of a series of conflict encounters that Jesus is going to begin dealing with from here out through the rest of the book of Mark as he runs into religious leaders who are challenging him in a number of ways, mostly around the temple, and these conflicts are what eventually lead Jesus to the cross. So, if you are able to stand, do so now. Let me read these few verses, Mark 11. 27 to 33. Um, To set this in context, remember at the start of chapter 11 was the triumphal entry. Uh, That's uh, basically Palm Sunday, and so we're still in what is called Holy Week. We would be in basically Tuesday of Holy Week when this incident that I'm going to read to you here now occurs. So Mark 11, starting with verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as He, Jesus, was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to Him, and they said to Him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Holy Spirit, would you please come? Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus' authority under attack in this passage. So let's, let's take a look at this from three angles. First of all, Jesus' authority resisted. Jesus' authority resisted. The argument really can be made that the entire book of Mark really is about Jesus' authority. Chapter 1, you might remember, Jesus was teaching, and they were astonished at His teaching because He taught with great authority. Chapter 2, Jesus was kind of defining how the Sabbath should be used, asserting His authority over the definition of the Sabbath. In chapter 3, He offers up healing. He shows that He is um, authoritative over the disease of the body. In chapter 4, He calms the storm, showing His authority over all of creation. 
In chapter 5, he begins casting out demons, showing his authority over the spirit world. And throughout the rest of Mark, many, many examples of Jesus showing his authority. Last week, remember chapter 11, he also demonstrated his authority when he went into the temple and started overturning tables and acting like he owned the place. And the reason that he acted like he owned the place is because he does own the place. And so this was a very explicit demonstration of his authority, just kind of taking over in the temple. And so in verse 28, this question is asked to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Now that phrase, these things, probably refers specifically to what has just happened in the temple when Jesus was overturning the temple, uh, overturning the tables, but, um, but could more broadly refer to just everything that I just mentioned about Jesus, asserting His authority over and over again. Um, so the, the question is asked to Jesus. Basically, another way to say this is He's being asked, who do you think you are? Coming in here, into the temple, doing these things, and acting like you own the place, and acting like you have all this authority. Well, who is it who is asking this question? If you back up to verse 27, you see it is the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They're the ones posing this question. Now, this group of people are uh, kind of a delegation, a representation of a group called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was um, the most authoritative body in Jewish religious life consisted of 71 leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees were members of the Sanhedrin. These were the scholars, the leading authorities in Jewish religious and political life, the ones that had the greatest influence on the common Jew. And so they are the ones who have been sent to try to find out what Jesus is intending to do here, and so they ask this question, by what authority do you do these things? Now, it's important to see that the motive of this question here, by what authority do you do these things, is, is not to gain information. You know, I mean, it's not like they don't know and they would really like to know, and if Jesus would just tell them, then they would accept it. That, that, that's not the, the motive here. They're not sincere in their question. And one of the reasons we know that is, well, first of all, by how Jesus answers them, which we'll get to in a moment, but also if you go back to verse 18, notice the chief priests and the scribes, after Jesus overturned the tables, were seeking, it says, to destroy Him. So they're after Jesus. That overturning the tables in the temple was uh, what many scholars believe the crucial point that ended up leading Jesus to the cross. The leaders have had enough, and so they are seeking to destroy Him, and yet they come uh, with this question. So it's not a sincere question. In fact, it's basically a trap question. So when, when they ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things, they're trying to put Jesus in a corner, probably thinking, well, if He says, I'm doing this by my own authority, then they'll just say, well, what kind of megalomaniac are you? You are an insurrectionist. We can't tolerate this. Have him arrested. But if he says, well, I'm doing this by God's authority, they'll say, well, you're a blasphemer. 
You're claiming an authority, a divine authority that no man should be able to claim. So, um, this is a question that they're offering here, thinking that they have trapped Jesus. It's a little bit like, you know, you've probably heard the question um, that you can ask a, a married man, have you stopped beating your wife? Right? You know, if the guy says yes, well, the implication is that he used to beat his wife. If he says no, well, then he is admitting that he's continuing to beat his wife. But what if he's never beaten his wife? There's no good way to answer that question. It's a trap question. And that's the kind of question that these religious leaders are offering here to to Jesus. Now, why would they be so interested in trapping Jesus? And the reason is because Jesus is a threat to their authority. I mean, these are the ones who are have this reputation of knowing everything, having the final word, being the experts in, in biblical and religious matters, and now Jesus comes along and He's getting all the attention and people are seeking Him out. Their authority is being threatened. And so, they want to do what they can to undermine Jesus' authority. Now, before we get too judgmental of these religious leaders, we should acknowledge, friends, that the authority of Jesus is a threat to everyone's authority. I mean, if Jesus really is who Mark is telling us He is, that is the Son of God, the the Messiah, God who has come in the flesh, if that's really who Jesus is, then that means He has authority over your life too. That means you do not have the final say in how you live your life. Jesus does. That means the authority over how you spend your time and how you spend your money and the moral convictions that you develop and how you live your sex life, all of these things fall under Jesus' authority. And that is a threat to anybody who wants or who is concerned about losing final say in the way they live their lives. So Jesus is presenting a threat to these leaders, but Jesus presents a threat to all who would consider his authority. But before we leave this point, just one thing to note here. Notice where this resistance is coming from. These leaders are resisting Jesus' authority, but notice that this resistance is not coming from the outside. It's not coming from unbelievers. It's not coming from the Romans. It's not coming from adherents of some other religion. This resistance to Jesus is coming from the inside. It's coming from the, the, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the people who are in charge of the spiritual life of the Jews, the scholars. Very often, friends, the opponents of the gospel are not the ignorant people outside the church, but the educated people inside the church. Sometimes the biggest threat to the Christian faith is the Ph.D. in religious studies. Maybe you've heard of a a guy named Bart Ehrman. He has a, a very authoritative title. He is Distinguished Professor of Religious Studies at the University of North Carolina. And he has spent his entire career undermining the credibility of the Bible and even recently has come out and said that he is an atheist. So, friends, be discerning about who you listen to. Just because a person has some letters after his or her name does not mean that person possesses true authority. And in fact, Paul 
warns us here in Acts 20 as he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, After my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. They're not coming in from the outside. They're rising up from the inside, and that's what we see here with these scribes and chief priests and elders who are resisting Jesus' authority. Well, let's go on. We next see Jesus' authority revealed. Okay, so the trap question has been asked to Jesus, and Jesus answers the question, but in a very indirect kind of way. He, he offers with a uh, he answers with a, a counter question. So, verse twenty nine, uh, Jesus says, "I will ask you one question. You you answer me." and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So, what is the counter question? See it in verse 30. He says this. Here's the question I want you to answer. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now, when Jesus mentions the the baptism of, of John here, he's talking about John the Baptist. And specifically, he's talking about not John being baptized. He's talking about John's baptism of Jesus, specifically. And so that's described for us in Mark chapter 1. You might remember in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So that's what Jesus is referring to here when he's asking about this baptism of John. Did it come from man or did it come from heaven? So basically what he's saying, if it, if it came from man, then, well, it would have no authority. It would be of just merely human origin. But um, if it came from heaven, or that is, if it came from God, then it would be of supreme authority. And so Jesus offers this question back to them, and hopefully you can see what Jesus is, is doing. He is setting His own trap for these religious leaders. He is presenting to them a question that might get them into trouble. And here's the way it always is, friends. When we think we're going to come up with some kind of trap for Jesus... We find ourselves in our own trap. Whenever we come up with some, you know, clever question that we think no one has thought about that's going to show the contradiction in the Bible that nobody has ever considered, very often what we find is it creates a whole other problem for us, and we're stuck. Uh, an example of this would, would be, you know, two common criticisms of the Christian faith are, are these. One is... Um, you know, I don't like this idea of a God of wrath. Just this idea that God is angry. I just can't tolerate that. And then there's another very common criticism of the Christian faith, and that is, why is there so much evil in the world? Why doesn't God do anything about the evil in the world? So very often, these two questions are what keep people from becoming Christians, and yet what they seem to miss 
is that God's wrath and anger is the answer to the problem of evil. God's wrath and anger, His nature of being angry against sin, is His response to the problem of evil. If you're going to complain against a God of wrath, then you have a God who's not going to punish evil. If you don't want God to punish evil, then don't complain about Him being a God of wrath. And so people get caught in these these kinds of difficulties and technicalities when they offer up their criticisms of the faith. So, how does Jesus deal with this? How, how does this question present a problem? So, we see how these leaders react in verse 31. Jesus has offered this question, this trap question. It says in verse 31 that they, they went away and they discussed it. And they begin to reason through this, or kind of huddled up somewhere, and they say to themselves, well, if we say um, from heaven, then uh, he's going to say, well, why did we not believe him? If we say it actually came from God, we, we should have submitted, we should have received this. But, verse 32, if we say from man... Well, then Mark adds and says that they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So, John was highly regarded. He was um, um, loved by the people. He was, a, he was a martyr. And so, they think if we say that, uh, that it was just uh, that, that we would get the wrath of the people if we say that this was merely from man. So, so they're stuck, and they don't know what to say. And so, their answer in verse 33, and I just imagine that they were probably so embarrassed, this was probably so hard for them to say in verse 33, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, we're, we are the scribes, we're the religious leaders, we're, we're the ones who know everything, but we don't know. Jesus has, has trapped them, and so they swallow their pride and they admit ignorance. So, two things, two things to take from this. One is we get a little lesson here in Jesus for how to respond to questions and and critics of the faith. Notice here that Jesus does not flee from the argument. He's not afraid to enter into the discussion, but His interaction with His opponents is thoughtful and measured and careful and wise. He doesn't feel obligated to give a direct answer. He answers a question with a question. Sometimes that's an appropriate thing to do. It just made me think of what Paul says in Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. There's a great apologetic lesson here about how to respond to our critics to be thoughtful, and clever, to not resort to name-calling, not lose our temper, not get angry, not get shrill, but perhaps sometimes answer a question with a better question. But another thing we can take from this also, I think, is we get some insight into the heart and the motivations of the unbeliever. Because when these leaders say, we don't know, you know what, I don't think that's really true. I think they do know. I think they do know the answer. The problem, though, is they don't really want to know 
anything about Jesus' authority. They're aware of the spiritual implications that that would bring to them, and they can't deal with it, and so they feign ignorance. And that leads us to our last point, which is Jesus' authority recognized. So this passage concludes the end of verse 33 with what are really very chilling words. After these leaders say, we we don't know, we don't know, Jesus says to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You don't know? Well, I'm not going to tell you. The implication here is, is this, thinking about John's baptism again. It's like what Jesus is saying is that if you, if you can't recognize the authority of John's baptism of me, when that voice came from heaven and declared, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased, if you can't recognize the authority of John, you're not going to be able to recognize my authority either. You pull away from me, you won't recognize me, I won't recognize you. You, you won't draw close to me, I'm not going to draw close to you. That's what Jesus is saying. I am not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. They couldn't recognize it, and so Jesus backed away. I mean, it's a chilling um, assertion about responding to the light and the revelation that we are given at any given time. We might just think that at any time we can just make decisions to believe and come to Jesus, but not necessarily. Today is the day of salvation, the Scriptures would tell us. I saw this uh, article uh, recently going back to this topic of authority. The article was titled, In Search of Authority, and it was in this periodical called National Affairs, and the guy was uh, making the argument that in the year 2020, he says, that's really when authority in our nation just finally completely was eliminated. Um, COVID and um, various uh, protests in the streets of our nation, and he lists all these people who used to have authority, scientists, police, educators, the president, courts, Congress, governors. His argument is that they all lost their authority in the year 2020. And then he says this, he says, our contemporary crisis of authority runs much deeper than most realize. More fundamentally, our problem is that we no longer know how to recognize an authentic claim to authority, even if one dares show its face, which it almost never does. Friends, what I want you to to take away from this message today is that true authority has shown its face in the person of Jesus Christ. The question is, do you recognize it? Can you see it? Do you recognize the authority of Jesus, or are you still saying, I don't know. I need more time. I got to weigh the options. I don't want to be an extremist. I don't want to jump to conclusions. I want some more time. Now, certainly there is a, a, a good kind of open-mindedness, right, where you, you're careful about what you're hearing and you're not rejecting new ideas. There is a healthy, good kind of open-mindedness. 
But there's also a kind of open-mindedness that just simply will never commit to anything. And that seems to be what these religious leaders are dealing with. They're not going to come to Jesus. And so many people think about the Christian faith in this way. They won't make a commitment. They won't say yes. Is that you today? You're putting it off, pretending you don't know. The warning here in this passage, what Jesus seems to be saying is, you won't commit to me, I won't commit to you. But you might say, but, but, but authority is so often abused, and you've heard that, and very often it's happened. Authority is abused in so many aspects of our society. That, that, that is true, yes, but it's not true of Jesus. Jesus doesn't abuse His authority. In fact, Jesus uses His authority to serve. You see this in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus, what a great Savior. He uses His authority to give up His life for you and for me. He doesn't use His authority to destroy His enemies. He uses His authority to save them. Well, you might say, well, how do I know that Jesus has this authority that you claim that He has? And the answer to that is because He is risen from the dead. That is enough for you to know that Jesus has all authority. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He talks about what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority. So, friends, when you hear Jesus say things like, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, he has crossed over from death to life. And when Jesus says, I I am going to the Father to prepare a place in heaven for you. And when Jesus says, "I, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age, you can bank on it, friends. Those things are true. It's not just one more competing voice screaming for attention. This is the truth, and you can know it's true because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. So, friends, choose this day whom you will serve. God, thank You so much for speaking to us through Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for declaring Your authority to us. Thank You, Jesus, for using Your authority to serve, to love, and to redeem sinners like us. We pray these things in His name. Amen.